Hello, I'm Michael Serapio, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. Tonight on Primetime Politics, Parliament gets back to business. Did he pay the full carbon tax on each of the 100 tonnes of emissions that he put into the atmosphere as part of his $80,000 vacation? Pierre Polyev uses the Prime Minister's Christmas vacation against him. Is the Conservative leader scoring any political points with a tactic? What does it say about the next few weeks and what's in store? We'll speak with the House leaders. Also... My team and I will make every effort to get to the bottom of things. The inquiry into foreign interference gets underway, with week one focused on what can and cannot be shared. We'll get a breakdown. And still trailing in the polls, what can the Liberals do to turn around their fortunes? David Coletto of Abacus Data shares his latest research. This is Primetime Politics. Hello everyone, I'm Michael Serapio. Parliament is back today, returning from its holiday break, though the Conservative leader did use his first question in the House to ask the Prime Minister about his Christmas vacation and in the process put the government's environmental policy under the microscope. Take a listen. He took two, not one, but two private jets paid for by the taxpayer uh, burning a hundred tons of greenhouse gases into the atmosphere. He wants to tax the heat and the food of Canadians. Did he pay the full carbon tax on each of the 100 tons of emissions that he put into the atmosphere as part of his $80,000 vacation? The Conservative leader has simply no plan to address climate change in this country, no plan to increase the resilience of our communities in the fight against climate change. Warming climate causes droughts. Droughts damage crops. Damaged crops increase the food of gro- the cost of groceries. And yet, the Conservative Party cannot even agree on whether or not climate change is real. Mr. Speaker, we will achieve our emissions reductions, all the while sending Canadians checks to help with the costs of rising, uh, rising prices. Well, to talk about that exchange and to look ahead to the government priorities, we're now joined by the government House leader, Steve McKinnon. Mr. McKinnon, thank you for being with us this evening. Good evening, Michael. Listen, I want to begin uh, with what we heard from the Conservative leader, his question today in the House, uh, because really, by tying the Prime Minister's Christmas vacation and the carbon price, he's trying to make this argument, I think, uh, that the Prime Minister is out of touch with Canadian realities and Mm -hmm. concerns. Are you worried about the connection that might be drawn out of that exchange? The fact is that the Prime Minister, uh, his ministers, the entire government, spends every day uh, working on matters to make life more affordable for Canadians, whether it's measures around housing, measures around uh, grocery, keeping grocery prices reasonable, uh, helping the most vulnerable in our society, or delivering on commitments like dental care. Uh, This is a um, government that is preoccupied every day with making life more affordable and making life easier for Canadians. Okay, but you know, uh, the polls, they do continue to have your party trailer 
Sterling Conservatives badly, and that would, at least at this point, seem to be the best judgment on uh, that we have right now on your government's performance. How do you intend to turn around that public opinion uh, on your government? I understand this is what your priorities are and what you say you're working on, but I don't know, I don't know if you believe that it's actually penetrating into the Canadian consciousness. We're going to continue with this agenda, uh, Michael, of, of making life more affordable for, Can uh, for Canadians, delivering on childcare, uh, rolling out currently is across the country, rolling out uh, on dental care, uh, increasing index by indexing the Canadian, the Canada Child Benefit. Uh, all of those things have been put clearly on the table by Mr. Polyev as targets for cuts. Those cuts are coming, so we're inviting Canadians not just to consider the program we've put in place that helps Canadians every day put food on the table and pay the rent. And what Mr. Polyev is not saying, which is he's proposing uh, tens of billions of dollars in cuts, cuts that will hit uh, the most vulnerable in society and hardly uh, help them uh, with their day-to-day -day lives. Okay, but the flip side of that is the Conservative government, excuse me, Conservative leader, uh, does blame your government for getting Canadians into the financial hardships they face. He, he, he points to the cost of carbon pricing, as you know, both direct and indirect. Also, the choices your government has made in program spending. What do you say to that? Well, what he doesn't say is uh, uh, governments around the world have spent more and inflation's higher. Canada has spent, reason, uh, relatively speaking, less than uh, member, other members of the G7, and our inflation rate is lower is in, a general, in a general way than the rest of the G7. So if it's true here, it's true for the Conservatives in the United Kingdom. You know, Mr. Polyev likes to blow uh, hot and cold on this stuff, but what he hasn't done, what he has not done, is put a plan in front of the country. And we're, of course, inviting Canadians to listen not only to what Mr. Polyev says, which often has a nasty, very right-wing populist tone, but listen to what he's not saying. What he's not saying is what he'd cut specifically who would be hurt by that, what families would be hurt by that, and how much money lost to groceries, to child care, to dental care uh, would Mr. Polyev take out of the hands of Canadians, millions of Canadians every month? Okay, listen, uh, quickly running out of time, but I do have to ask you about your negotiations over pharmacare with the NDP. We heard Jagmeet Singh basically uh, compare negotiations with Liberals to, to wrestling a slippery eel, and those are his words, not mine. Uh, do I take it things are going badly there? Well, as you know, the parties agreed that uh, we'd uh, take until the beginning of March to get this right. Uh, Pharmacare is absolutely a priority item in our supply and confidence agreement with the New Democrats. And uh, I know we continue to work very, very productively. The minister does with members of the New Democratic Party. And uh, I'll let them announce uh, the progress that they've made at the appropriate time. Do you think you'll meet your March 1st deadline? I think it's a very high priority item, Michael. Okay, well, we are watching uh, Stephen Kinnan. Always appreciate the time. Thank you for this. Thank you. Well, let's turn now to the opposition and with their thoughts on Parliament's return. We're now joined by the Conservative House Leader Andrew Scheer and the NDP House Leader Peter Julian. Hello to both of you. Hi there. Hi. Listen, uh, Mr. Scheer, I'll start with you because your leader used his first question today to ask about the Prime Minister's Christmas vacation. Why, given all the affordability concerns being expressed by Canadians, why would that be the first question out of Mr. Polyev's mouth? 
Well, it's a demonstration of just how out of touch and arrogant Justin Trudeau is and what a massive hypocrite he is. You know, he's imposing a carbon tax with plans to quadruple it, making air travel and road tra uh, travel by car more expensive. And he jets off to a Jamaican vacation, which he has trouble telling the truth about whether or not it was free or he paid for it or someone else gave it to him. And meanwhile, Canadians are, are cutting back. Justin Trudeau had the audacity to say that he spent his Christmas vacation just like most Canadians visiting friends. Well, most Canadians don't do that. And uh, not only that, but he emitted hundreds of tons of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere with his high-flying, high-carbon hypocrisy. Meanwhile, that carbon tax is driving up grocery prices. It's driving up the cost of home heating. So the point that we made today was while Justin Trudeau is immune from all the terrible consequences of the policy that he's imposing on Canadians, Canadians are still struggling just to put food on the table and keep the thermostat at a comfortable level. Mr. Julian, what do you make of that focus? Because your party used this first day to call for an emergency debate over homelessness. Yes, absolutely. And, and that's why the Jagmeet Singh and the NDP are going to continue to push for measures that actually help Canadians. The Liberals have not done very much at all, except where the NDP has forced them to put into place dental care uh, protections in the Competition Act. So uh, law laws and these other big chains and uh, can actually stop the food price gouging that has hurt Canadians uh, so many times going to gro groceries, uh, the, the grocery rebate, the affordable housing, the anti-scab legislation, these are all things that the NDP has actually forced the government to do. And so we believe very strongly that in this, in this time, uh, what we need to do is ensure uh, that Canadians are getting the supports that they need. And, and as far as the gifts are concerned, uh, we echo the concern around gifts, whether it's uh, $80,000, a prime minister going off uh, on, a, on a trip to Jamaica, or the $6,000 in, in champagne that was gifted by a far-right organization in Hungary to conservative MPs. We, we need to clarify this issue of gifts because, quite frankly, I, I don't think it passes the nod test for any Canadian. Mm -hmm. Now, Mr. Chair, your leader says he'll be working to finally get uh, C-234 passed, uh, which essentially is this carbon uh, carve-out for farmers. What can we expect to see on that front? Well, we're going to continue to put pressure on the government to respect the vote that was held in the House of Commons, where a majority of members of Parliament agreed that to help bring grocery prices down, the carbon tax should be lifted off of farmers, off of uh, agricultural production. Uh, Justin Trudeau, once that bill went over to the Senate, passed the House of Commons, it went to the Senate, uh, Justin Trudeau and his cabinet minister started working the phones, bullying and intimidating liberal senators into ignoring the democratic expression of the people of Canada and essentially got them to gut the bill. So the bill is now back in the House of Commons. It would exempt uh, the carbon tax from farmers. Justin Trudeau can carve himself out of having to pay uh, for his carbon emissions. And we believe that this will help bring down grocery prices. Grocery prices are high for a couple of reasons. One is inflation in general, as the NDP and Liberals call for more and more spending that adds fuel to the inflationary fire. And because of the carbon tax, the Bank of Canada Governor Tiff Macklem said that the carbon tax itself added about 33% to the overall extra inflation that Canadians are facing. So it, it, it's a real issue. One of the saddest things you see these days is when you go to a grocery store and you see people who are well-dressed, who clearly you know, have incomes and have jobs, and they, and they pick up a package of beef and they stare at it for a few moments, and then they put it back 
because they just can't afford it anymore. You're seeing that time and time again. Families going to food banks for the first time. So our message to the government is have some mercy on those Canadians facing that hardship. Let's take the carbon tax off of farmers so that food prices can come down. Mm -hmm. uh, Mr. Julie, how do you react to that when you hear Mr. Scheer talk about your party being a part of the inflationary problem in this country right now? Uh, when Canadians get access to dental care, seniors, people with disabilities, families with kids under the age of 18, that they'll finally have access to dental care. Affordable housing that, that was a, a colossal debacle under the Conservatives. We lost 800,000 affordable housing units, 200,000 under Justin Trudeau's government. Uh, the NDP has finally forced investments so that we're starting to build affordable housing again. Anti-scab legislation, all of these things make a difference. Now the reality is, uh, Galen Weston was even trying to jack up the price on expiring food, cutting the discount that applies to, to people and that a lot of seniors and, and others rely on to, to purchase their food. And we, we had, both under the Conservatives and Liberals, no action taken to re rein in what have been uh, often record profits by these massive conglomerates that run our grocery stores. And it's Jagmeet Singh and the NDP that stepped up and, and has pushed the government, forced the government to put in place uh, in increased protection for consumers. So Canada is finally joining uh, other countries that protect consumers from the food price gouging, and we're seeing in a lot of other industries as well. Uh, the CEOs should not be allowed to indiscriminately gouge Canadians, and the NDP is the only party that has stood up against that. If I could just address the, the, the housing issue, because Mr. Julian just said something that was completely false. When Pierre Polyev was minister responsible for housing, housing prices were half. New home prices were half of what they are now. Rents were half of what they are now. It used to be that families, uh, homeowners would take 25 years to pay off their mortgage. Now under Justin Trudeau, it takes them 25 years just to save up for the down payment. So when Conservatives were in power, more Canadians were able to afford the homes they were renting uh, or the apartments they are renting or the homes they were planning on purchasing. When the government, and this is Christia Freeland's own words, when the government pours inflationary fuel on the fire, it makes prices go up and the Bank of Canada has to hike interest rates to fight that. I know people, we used to talk about uh, you know, trying to help people move out of their parents' basement. I know people have had to move back into their parents' basement because they can't afford to renew their mortgage on the home that they've already been living in for many years. That's the crisis that Justin Trudeau's caused, and the NDP love to protect Justin Trudeau. They love to protect him against, uh, uh, from his scandals, from investigations into his corruption, and from the failures of his policy, and it's just so frustrating. So, that, that's so, so more, that's so, more conservative disinformation. The reality is, and Mr. Scheer knows this, that prices doubled under the Conservatives. So over the last 17 years, under Conservatives and under Liberals, uh, the cost of living has gone uh, erupted, and at the same time, half Canadians have been struggling. And so it, the reality is what we've seen under both governments uh, is simply a refusal to provide supports to regular Canadians. What they did do under the Harper tax treaties is give a gift of $30 billion each and every year to wealthy corporate CEOs and profitable corporations. And, that, and, the, and the Trudeau government has continued uh, the Harper uh, free tax treaties that basically allow people off the hook. $30 billion a year according to the Parliamentary Budgetary Office. Okay, listen, I got to jump in because I'm quickly losing time here. But, and I do have to ask this, Mr. Julian, because so many Canadians are still wondering about pharmacare. Uh, your, your leader described negotiating with the Liberals uh, like wrestling with a slippery eel. Uh, does that mean to say that you're losing faith that you can actually uh, 
meet the March 1st deadline to, to have a deal here? Uh, well, his actual phrase was wrestling with an eel covered in oil. Uh, but the, we managed to force uh, dental care uh, to actually go to Canadians. We forced affordable housing investments now to start going to Canadians, uh, anti-scab legislation, the grocery rebate, uh, consumer protections, all of those things Liberals did not want to do. Justin Trudeau did not want to do any of those things. Uh, what Jagmeet Singh and the NDP have succeeded at doing each time is, is provided, forced the debate so that we actually get benefits to go to Canadians. And, and I'm confident because we've succeeded so many times to make that difference that we'll be able to make a difference on pharmacare. I have, I have a constituents that are paying up to $1,000 a month in heart medication. The Canadian Nurses Association talks about the hundreds of Canadians that die Hopefully. every year because there's no pharmacare. We need to put pharmacare in place for Canadians. Okay, well, sorry to say we're out of time, uh, Mr. Chair, Mr. Julian, but the good news is, hey, we're back. We'll speak again. Uh, but for this evening, thank you to the two of you. Thanks, thank Frank. you. Thanks a lot. To the inquiry on foreign interference now as the Hogue Commission began its public hearings today. Now, the commission did not start its work by examining allegations of Russian, Chinese and Indian meddling in Canada's democratic process. Instead, it used and will use the first few days laying down the ground rules about what can be shared without compromising national security. The commission lawyers and I are neutral and impartial. We represent the public interest and our goal is to uncover the truth, whatever it may be. Everyone must work towards the same goal, understanding what happened, learning from it, and making recommendations for the future. Well, joining us now is Stephen Chase, senior parliamentary reporter with The Globe and Mail. He's been covering the foreign interference file for the paper's readers. Uh, Steve, thank you for joining us today. Glad to be here. So uh, a lot to discuss here, and really this is the first part of the inquiry. It doesn't really look into foreign interference per se, but it does, uh, I guess, a good way to describe it, set up the parameters, what will and not be heard during the inquiry itself. How important is this part of the inquiry? What's at stake here? Well, I, this part of the inquiry is sort of a scene setter. So basically the actual hearings in reality don't get going until March. This is sort of a scene setting week. I would, some people might say an adjustment or expectation adjustment uh, where we discuss things like uh, how do we balance the need for disclosing things to the public so we can get to the bottom of this with national security. So there's going to be uh, a discussion about that. There's going to be people setting out the sort of the parameters of the subject, like former CSIS uh, director Dick Fadden. So this is, a, I think this is kind of like a public education week. Okay, so a public education, although already, even before today began, we've been hearing criticisms. We've heard it from, uh, in particular, the Conservative Party of Canada, uh, as well as a coalition of human rights groups, criticizing the process as it has been set out. L let's break that up a little bit. First and foremost, the Conservative Party of Canada, what concerns are they expressing? Well, I think their number one concern is they didn't get what's called uh, party standing or essentially full standing. They don't have the ability to cross-examine witnesses. They don't get access to all the documents and evidence produced and submitted to the commission, even outside of the hearings. They feel that, uh, they argue that it's been demonstrated that they were a target of foreign interference, both their party and their former leader, and they think they should have that kind of standing. So I think that's the, their number one beef. So let's now move on to the, to the Coalition of Human Rights Groups. Again, they're expressing concerns as well. 
Yes, uh, there's a coalition of home, human rights groups representing uh, various uh, minority groups who have been very critical of China and also have been targeted by China for, for harassment and intimidation. Their concern is that uh, uh, by the standing that Commissioner Hogue has granted to three politicians, three men, uh, the uh, deputy mayor of Markham, Michael Chan, who is a former Ontario government minister, to independent MP Han Dong, who used to be a member of the Cons Liberal Caucus, and to Senator Yin Pao Wu, who is existing senator. Their concern is they have made allegations, and there's been allegations about these men, that they are, have ties to China. These allegations have not been proven, but they feel that um, in, they are intimidated and concerned about coming forward and being able to be cross-examined by people like Mr. Chan and Mr. Dong. And so they would uh, like the Commission to revisit that or produce some kind of protections for them so their, their people and people who are supporting them don't feel intimidated when pr trying to provide evidence to the Commission. Okay, and, and obviously the Commission here, and we heard it from the Commissioner today, she wants to get to the truth of this, but can the truth be gotten to considering the fact that so early into the process people are questioning how it's been set out? Well, I think we should let it unfold. I think that um, there are a lot of uh, problems in terms of constraints. I think it's, a, it's a unfortunate that they're only looking at the two election periods and not other things, such as interference at universities and so on. I also think that the uh, a major constraint is that the terms of reference suggest she only gets access, Commissioner Hogue only gets access to the same documents that were available to David Johnson when he was special rapporteur. So yes, there's a number of constraints. Uh, but we have yet to see how this commission is going to operate. We are getting a bit of a preview this week, uh, but uh, I think only time will tell. Okay, so what will you be watching out for? Again, you've been covering the story really extensively, so what are you keeping an eye out? I'll be looking for new information, for, for new voices, for people producing evidence uh, one way or the other, and whether we're going to be able to hear that evidence. One of the concerns the commissioner aired today is that if she hears uh, information being provided to her uh, under confidential testimony and it, it impugns or to harms the reputation of someone, any Canadian, she might stop the testimony. So again, I'm just wondering how far they're going to be able to probe, whether they're truly going to be able to hear the evidence or whether they'll be too constrained by the limits that we've talked about. Well, certainly we are watching closely as we have been. Uh, Stephen, thank you for this. You're welcome. Well, as Parliament gets back into the swing of things, the Liberals do find themselves still trailing in public opinion polls, Conservatives still very much holding a commanding lead, but the Prime Minister continues to say that he will lead the Liberals into the next election. And to talk about all of this and the numbers that he's been looking at, we're now joined by David Coletto, the founder, the chair and CEO of Abacus Data. David, good to see you. Thank you for joining us. You're welcome, Michael. Good to see you. So listen, let's begin with the, the, the big numbers here, because despite putting housing in the front window, the Trudeau Liberals are, are still trailing Conservatives badly. As Parliament returns, just how are things standing right now? So not much has changed uh, since the end of the year. We've got the Conservatives well ahead of the Liberals nationally. Uh, they're at 40 percent. The Liberals are at 25 and the New Democrats are at 20 percent. And that's more or less what we've seen, what a lot of other pollsters have seen for a number of months uh, a number of months now what's driving that michael is i think two things one is um a real uh i would say sour mood out there uh, only one in four canadians think the country's headed in the right direction the government's disapproval rating is is close to the the worst it's been and and people aren't thrilled with the prime minister himself added to the fact 
that there's just a general broad and I think pretty deep sense of uh, or desire for change. And those two factors, a, a tough economy for people feeling anxious about it, plus a government that's been in eight, uh, been in office eight years is leading uh, to a to 2024 starting very much as uh, 2023 uh, ended. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I guess troubling for the government is the fact that even in traditional liberal strongholds, uh, there seems to be no region where the liberals are leading right now. There isn't. Um, you go from the west to the east. Uh, they're third in British Columbia. They're third in the prairies. Uh, they're 12 points back in Ontario to the Conservatives. In Quebec, it's the area where they're still, I would say, stronger, but they still trail the Bloc Québécois in our poll by, by, by five points. And then even in Atlantic Canada, where for months now, um, you know, the Conservatives have been leading. They Conservatives lead by 10 over the Liberals in, in a region reminder uh, in 2025 in which the Liberals won absolutely every seat in. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting to hear you say that because you know, when I talk to liberals, they're still at least publicly saying that when Canadians compare Trudeau and Poliev, Trudeau, they argue, will still come out ahead. But but your numbers seem to contradict that. Yeah, I, I mean, that could happen, um, but I think it's unlikely to happen. And I think it's because um, people have a very clear idea of who Justin Trudeau is in their mind. They've seen him uh, as prime minister. Most who don't like him uh, say it's largely because they're just tired of him. And when we put them head to head and we say, okay, if your only choice was Mr. Trudeau or Mr. Polyev, uh, which would you prefer? Uh, Mr. Polyev comes out ahead by eight points, including um, among New Democrats who one in three of those who voted NDP in the last election say they would prefer Mr. Polyev over Mr. Trudeau. So that could happen. And I think a lot of Canadians haven't really given much thought to what a conservative government would do. They don't have to make that choice right now. There's not likely an election for some time. Um, but I think what's clear is, I think most people are just tired of the prime minister. And I'm not sure that goes away, even if the economy improves and f- people start feeling a little more optimistic about their own future. Okay, except that the prime minister still says that he's gonna lead his party into the next election. What would Justin Trudeau have to do and or prove to, to I guess, avert a disaster at the polls? Well, I think the first thing is he's got to really demonstrate to people he's got a handle on the things that they're most worried about, the cost of living, housing, health care, um, even immigration is rising. In our poll, it's up four points in two weeks and as a top issue. So he's got to have a handle on it. And I think most important, he's got to have a, a vision, a plan. Um, we did some research at the end of last year that showed most Canadians think either the government has no plan or a bad plan to deal with those big issues. So that's job one. And job two and I think they're starting to do this. They're trying to, I think, bring Mr. Polyev maybe back down to earth by questioning his motives, t- tying him to, to Donald Trump. At the end of the day, if Justin Trudeau is going to win the next election, it's got to be because people think he's the better choice than Mr. Polyev. And right now, uh, most uh, wouldn't say that's the case. Okay, so what then is the challenge uh, for the Conservative leader and really while we're at it for, for the NDP leader? So I think there's not much challenge for the Conservative leader. I think they've got to more or less keep doing what they're doing, reinforce the fact that Canadians want change. I think the thing that I would advise them perhaps to do more in 2024 is start to demonstrate to people that that Mr. Polyev and his team, um, and they're starting to do that, recruiting really good candidates to run, uh, imagine what uh, you know a cabinet might look like and demonstrate they're ready for government. For the New Democrats, um, I think it's 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 remain relevant. Uh, demonstrate that on the one hand you are achieving certain things by working with the liberals, but also as think as they're trying to do, remind people that they are different from the liberals, and that when time comes 
for people to make a choice. If they want a progressive uh, alternative to Mr. Uh, Polyev, that, that Mr. Singh and the NDP are the best choice for them. Okay, uh, David, always appreciate the time. Thank you for this. That is David Coletto of Abacus Data. Time now for a look at what happened in politics today. Bonjour à tous. Good morning. The public inquiry examining alleged foreign interference in the 2019 and 2021 federal elections began its public hearings today with Justice Marie-José Ogue at the helm. The first round of hearings will last five days and handle questions about sharing national security information and classified documents. The federal government says it will offer low-cost loans to build more student housing. Schools and private builders will have access to funding under the Apartment Construction Loan Program. When I talk to students, they tell me about the challenges that they experience when they have to commute an hour to class. Uh, they tell me about the overcrowding they experience, particularly in some of our larger urban centres. And even in my own constituency, home to St. Evex University, where I went to school, uh, students tell me routinely about the challenges that they have with uh, not only finding a place, but finding a safe place to live, given how much pressure is on the market. The industry minister says the country's grocery giants are not being transparent enough when it comes to lowering food prices. Francois-Philippe Champagne has sent a letter to Canada's competition commissioner emphasizing additional federal powers to protect and promote competition in the retail grocery market. The federal health minister says the government agrees with the joint parliamentary committee and more time is needed to expand medical assistance in dying to people with mental illness. A Senate and House committee studying the issue tabled its report today. Mark Holland saying the March 17th deadline was too tight. This is an alignment. You've seen public statements from the provinces of Alberta, uh, Saskatchewan, Manitoba and Quebec uh, indicating uh, that they're not ready. Uh, this is in comportment with uh, this, the Joint Committee's report and frankly with other conversations that I've been having with uh, health ministers across the country and with the Canadian uh, Mental uh, Health Association. The government will introduce new legislation in the House asking for a second extension in the coming days. And finally tonight, the National Council of Muslims was on Parliament Hill today to mark a somber anniversary. It's been seven years since a lone gunman opened fire inside Quebec City's Islamic Cultural Centre, killing six people and injuring another 19. Canada has suffered more mass killings motivated by Islamophobia in the past seven years than any other country in the G7. January 29th marks a day of remembrance and of action against Islamophobia. And that is Primetime Politics for this evening. I'm Michael Serapio. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you again tomorrow.